Welcome in to another edition of Divorce Force Podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm very excited to introduce my next guest. He is currently the commissioner of the Michigan Intercollegiate Athletic Association, which is a conference in Division Three football. I love Division Three. I went to a D3 school, so represent. <laughs> and he went, he has a decorated education background, uh, going getting his PhD at Kansas University. Please welcome Christopher Brown, everybody. Hey, thanks so much, Adam. Yes. Um, excited to have you on. I know we'll get into it. Um, but before we get, you know, into your career and how you got into sports, you know, at an early age, where did it play for you, whether that was going up or going to games as a fan? Yeah, you know, I, I always tell people I'm incredibly unathletic <laughs> so in terms of on the field. You know, I, I took away a lot of the things that I think we all value about sports, right? I learned to be a good teammate. Most importantly, I think I learned how to lose, and I, I probably learned how to lose uh, very well because we lost a lot. But, you know, just picking up on ways to interact with people, learning how to navigate different situations. But probably sport played the biggest role in my life just as a fan. I grew up in Colorado Springs, and so I had the opportunity to experience a lot of different sports, uh, in particular sports that I don't know if I would have gotten much exposure to but for living there, like ice hockey, becoming mm -hmm. a big fan of the Colorado Avalanche and seeing the excitement around that sport, which sparked me into learning more about Canada and just all kinds of different things and just really illuminated my eyes to just different opportunities out there. And so, you know, as a fan, I'm still very passionate about the sports and the teams that I support. And it's just something that it's almost irreplaceable, you know, the highs, the lows, the kind of mundane seasons of being a sports fan. There's just nothing that you can really compare it to. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, uh, you're growing up in Colorado Springs and getting involved and being around different sports. Uh, do you feel like obviously sports is huge um, across the board, you know, geographically, but is it important? to you know be around that environment and to see how impactful it can be uh when you're in a specific region yeah I, I think it really is important you know sports is one of the few things i think as a society that we can all galvanize around and so in particular you know the importance of sports varies depending on your area and so you know i was fortunate to grow up in an area where it's i had that exposure to different sports and so i got to have just a diverse array to choose from and to understand that culture and then what it meant to the community you know as a kid the denver broncos yes they were a great football team but it was something that when you went to high school it was a uniter it was something that we were all wearing the orange and the blue and so <laughs> i think it's important for everyone depending on where you are just to get a feel for what does the sport culture look like if it's ice hockey in the north, if it's wrestling in the Midwest, you know, getting a feel for what it can do for the local high schools, those elementary schools, what it can do for the greater community. It's pretty important. So I would always encourage folks, whether you want to work in sport or have no interest whatsoever in working in sport, just still get to know what kind of the sport landscape is for your particular area, because in all likelihood, regardless of your uh, kind of position in sport or towards it it'll probably have some sort of impact on you yeah you hit the, you hit the nail on the head there it doesn't matter what sport it is it can still have an impact so talk about you know whether that's your career or you see young professionals who get attached to certain sports or teams or organizations and they're gonna be like well i want to work here but 
in general, you don't know where that path will take you. So how important is it to understand not just one sport, but multiple sports? Adam, I think that's a, a huge, a great question. And it's a huge uh-huh. point in particular with young professionals who want to work in the sport industry. I think you're right that they usually have uh, one particular track that they're thinking, right? I want to work for my favorite NFL team. I want to work for the MLB team down the street from me that I've grown up with. And those are great goals to have. But I think where sometimes they're missing is wanting to be able to provide a lot of value for that team. It's one thing to work for them as an intern and kind of just keep the ship moving. But I think most people envision themselves being impact players with their organization. And so, you know, one of the best ways to do that is to have a diverse knowledge or a diverse array of skills that you can bring to that program. And so I had some great advice early on in my career, and it was, yeah, you want to be able to work for some of these bigger programs, but once again, you want to be the person that brings something different to the table. So Mm -hmm. if your goal is to work for the Kansas City Chiefs, for example, it's maybe you should try working for a rugby organization. Maybe you should see what pickleball is about, because that way, when you are in the room with those decision makers, you're operating from a place where you have a diverse knowledge uh, to contribute to ideas. You know, if we've all worked for the same organization, our ideas are only going to be Uh, a little bit limited because we only have a very small viewpoint. But if we've tried different entities, different sports, we can use all of those skills to contribute to the best that we can once we get into those seats of where we want to be. So I I can't encourage, especially younger listeners and folks who want to work in sports, try the things that are a little bit different because you never know when you're going to have an idea that pays off in the future. Yeah, for sure, Chris. And I don't want to overstress the importance of value, but it's being more valuable or bringing more value than you already bring can do dividends and pay off in the long run. Like you said, being an intern, it's totally different and a full-time opportunity and just being more valuable than what you already bring in your skill set. hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> um, so you, you know, have an extensive education background uh, you have your bachelor's master's and PhD you know, what was that path for you? And did you, like, when did you decide, hey, I want to pursue, you know, higher education and potentially work at, you know, the university level within sports? Yeah. So growing up, you know, I loved sports, but sports were never kind of the path that I thought I'd pursue. You know, when it came time to decide where to go to college, you know, it came down to two schools. I figured out very quickly that I was going to stay in state. So it was going to be <laughs> University of Colorado or Colorado State. And I found that, you know, the majority of my high school friends were going to the University of Colorado. And so I thought, well, you know, I want to go somewhere a little bit different, <laughs> different. So ended up picking Colorado State. And while I was there, uh, I was really focused on becoming a lawyer. I thought, hey, I'll go to law school after this. I'll become a high-powered lawyer, either in corporate law or maybe another entity where there was just really good money. And so, you know, I focused on that for a long time until one day I had a friend go, well, Chris, why do you want to be a lawyer? And Adam, I paused. I thought, I have no idea. It's what I want to do, but I don't know why I want to do it. And so I'd watched my brother go through law school and it's a really hard process. And, you know, it's a lot of hours and a lot of stress, but also a lot of money, too. And so I decided right before my senior year that uh, if I don't know why I want to go to law school, I I probably shouldn't go. And so, you know, it left me in an awkward place because graduation wasn't that far away. And I thought, okay, Mm -hmm. you got to find something. 
Well, it turns out all throughout undergrad, I had had a part-time job working at the rec center. And I mean, very much part-time cleaning treadmills, giving people spot on bench presses. And, <laughs> and, you know, I, I just thought of it as a job that gave me some pocket change and some good walking around money. But, you know, it turned out that there were these things called graduate assistantships. And a friend showed me, hey, you can use your skills that you've gained in the rec center to go ahead and get a free education. So I thought, okay, that's amazing. And so I applied for every graduate assistantship I could find and, you know, only got one. But all you really need is one. So mm -hmm. I accepted the role at Austin P. State University, moved to Clarksville, Tennessee, sight unseen, and started working in recreation. And so, you know, I love recreation in particular. I love what recreation and wellness offers to the university setting. That place to not only get in shape, but to learn more about how to cope with stress, how to find healthy outlets to work through trials. And so, you know, while I was doing that, it, it was very enjoyable in terms of what I could provide to the student population. But for me, I didn't find it intellectually stimulating or really professionally fulfilling. And so I thought, okay, well, this is good, but I think there might be better for me. And so at the same time, you know, there was a grad, a pretty big major infraction happening at a pretty large public school. And so I, I remember being pretty astonished by this particular issue because, you know, all I knew about the school was, yes, they had good athletics, but they had a medical school. They had a great law school. They had all these distinguished professors, but we were really focused on a couple of student athletes who had done something that was quote unquote wrong. And so I thought, wow, well, this might be where a pretty interesting place to focus is. And so I started to do a little bit of research about the NCAA, NCAA rules and regulations. And that's when I discovered there were these individuals on campuses called compliance officers. And their jobs were to enforce rules for their campus to ensure they were abiding by NCAA rules. And I thought, this is fascinating. And, and it was really at that point that I decided this is probably something I want to explore further and potentially make it into a career. Yeah, I love that. That's huge. And obviously being whether you're working at a college campus or even uh, the NCA level, uh, like you did uh, for ex extensive time, what from your perspective as you know, professional, what from a bird's eye view did you learn that you didn't know going into it? And from a perspective of like, you know, you didn't know that you learned over your time working at that level. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I think I couldn't have even imagined coming in the door was just the amount of care that people have within college athletics. I think we're in a time where everyone's kind of questioning the value of college athletics. The focus is really on the monetary side of athletics. Oftentimes, mm -hmm. if you're turning on ESPN, but, you know, to a T, I've gotten to work with just some incredible individuals who really do care about student athletes. They care about the value of college athletics. They really do want to do right by every individual that they can and position in particular students to be successful, not just during that four to five year time frame in undergraduate, but really for their entire future. And so I don't think I could have ever estimated how much heart everyone had and truly cared about college athletics. The other element, and this has probably been one of the bigger blessings I've had in my life, is uh, just to be around some freakishly intelligent people. I mean, my goodness, I, I was blessed to really feel like I was a pretty smart guy growing up. But <laughs> I've had the chance to work with some people who think on another level. And so 
you know, it's inspiring. It forced me to step my game up. You know, you think that you have a good work ethic until you meet someone with an even higher work ethic and intelligence base. And so it, it's been great to be around people like that because they're incredible problem solvers. They're taking complex issues and breaking them down to understandable chunks and then finding solutions to these complex problems. So, you know, I could have never imagined those things coming in the door, but I think it's a pretty unique quality of college athletics that just passion and care coupled with just some really brilliant people working in that sector. Yeah, for sure. You talk about the level of care and um, just the willingness to work with um, these individuals and also the universities. So where would you, you know, put obviously the relationship between the NCA and obviously the universities, uh, whether that's, you know, the athletics record, obviously when you're at the university level, front lines, you guys are there, you're, you know, getting pulled in every direction. Um, so what is that relationship like between the NCA and the schools at each of its conferences? Yeah, I think probably more collegial than people would imagine. You know, at the end of the day, we're playing different roles within a system. But at the end of the day, everyone wants student athlete success to be the focus. You know, we're coming at it from different vantage points, but we're working together for that common good. And so, you know, at times it, it can be contentious, but once again, it's coming from a very good place. So when you can, you know, you're trying to work really well with the ADs to make sure that you're providing the best support that you can from a conference perspective. Similarly, from the national office, you're really trying to provide the best customer service and support that you can to the ADs in the different conference offices. And so while you try and maintain things to be as collegial as possible, when you're passionate and you're caring, you're advocating for someone, it can come out in a contentious manner. But even a little spat here or there, an argument about something here or there, it will still, at the end of the day, result in everyone going, okay, we're still good here. We just got fired up because we truly care about this individual. You know, you think about cases, whether it's trying to support a student athlete through a complex transfer case. It's, yeah, people get pretty fired up because you want the best for that young person. You want to put them in a position where they can have their dreams achieved. And so sometimes that means erasing the voice here or there. But once again, at the end of the day, we can all shake hands and know that we're all doing the best thing that we could to support that individual student athlete. So it's a complex dynamic, but it really is, for the most part, pretty collegial in my experience. Yeah, for sure. And what would you feel um, is the hardest part or most challenging part um, while working in the collegiate athletic space? Yeah, I, I think the most challenging, and I guess I'll say heartbreaking part of things, is when you can't, I guess, put a student athlete in that position to be successful. And, and that definition is very much probably defined by what the student athlete is wanting, right? If you have a, a young person who is wanting to transfer for a third time, let's say, and get to a place where they believe that they're going to be successful, but due to whatever the standards are uh, in terms of them not meeting them, you can't permit them to do so, or um, you're not able to advocate on their behalf in a manner that results in them being able to compete. Uh, that can really stink. You know, you want that young person to be able to achieve their dreams. You want them mm -hmm. to reach those goals. And so when the answer is no, you know, you're feeling for them. And so that can be really tough knowing that you, you couldn't get it done for that young person. Yeah, for sure. And there's so many levels, um, you know, and especially when you're at the university level, conference level, um, 
it really starts there. So uh, with yourself leading a conference, what is your communication like uh, with the teams and the universities uh, to help each athlete? Obviously, there's thousands of athletes <laughs> that are within the conference, but how do you how do you manage that as uh, the leader of the conference? Yeah, you know, I'm <laughs> six months into the job, so it's definitely an art and not a science. I can't say that I have it down, but you know, one of the things that I've tried to carry, regardless of my role, whether it be a conference commissioner, you know, working in the national office, or even in the teaching capacity at the University of Kansas, is just open lines of communication. You know, if a student athlete would like to reach out to me, and it does happen from time to time, they're more than welcome to. If coaching staff members want to reach out and ask questions, I'm not going to shut that down. They're more than welcome to reach out because we need that free flowing of information. Because if you don't feel comfortable coming to be on the small things, well, how can we really have conversations about the big issues? And so I try just to the extent that I can to make sure everyone knows it's, hey, you're welcome to reach out. Let's have a conversation. If you're wondering, well, why did we make this decision? Call and ask. Let me be able to explain where I was coming from. But then in turn, uh, what I owe to those individuals is to listen to. Let me hear how this affected you. That might be something helpful for when I make another decision so that I'm keeping that in mind. So, you know, the first thing is just keeping those lines of communication as open as humanly possible. Uh, next is I'm a big time explainer when it comes to things. Even if it's something small, just sharing with folks, hey, I just did X, Y, or Z within this meeting. And here are the reasons why I did it. We'll have time in the future to break it down. You can tell me what you think about it, but I want you to be able to sit down and know, okay, this is why Chris made a certain decision. And I at least understand where he was coming from with it. And then, you know, I try to the ability that I can to get on campus. Let me see what's going on. You know, I, I work from home for the most part. And so, you know, while I have a good idea of what's happening on each of the campuses, there's nothing like physically being there, being there for a game seeing what setup looks mm -hmm. like, takedown looks like, knowing that, hey, you know, the game ended at nine o'clock, but there's a group of staff members that they're working until 10, 1030, maybe even later to get things torn down. And so while I sometimes can't contribute in a what I would call a meaningful way of kind of picking up and putting down things, trying to get things put away, what I can at least do is be there and at least understand it's okay. There's a deeper amount of work that goes into making this happen. And so you know, just trying to be there and be available can be pretty helpful. People like it when you're there because uh, it also shows that you care. It's not just sitting in an office somewhere thinking that, you know, it's really being able to know what's happening within the school. So those have been my approaches thus far. Uh, I think it's going all right so far, but we'll see <laughs> here in a few more months when we have some different conversations. But <laughs> that approach has been uh, what I've really leaned on thus far. Yeah, I think the important part anytime in leadership is, is showing that caring and that authenticity. And you hit the nail on the head there, uh, Chris, with showing up. I mean, obviously, you can't be everywhere and you have to pick, you know, your uh, whether, you know, your appearances at very strategically. But, you know, showing up for a game, showing up for an event. I mean, that's got to bode well for, you know whether it's a conference, whether it's, you know, a sporting event, it's got to bode well when the universities, and I'm sure uh, whenever you do that, they appreciate it tenfold. 
No, I think so. Well, I got to say this. I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge this. I'm also a sports fan. So it's <laughs> beneficial to the role. It's I, I still get to go watch an awesome football game. I get to go to a great volleyball match. We have some great sports in our league. And so, you know, I'm getting spoiled because on a Thursday night, I'm at a sporting event and it's called work. So you, you, you can't beat that. Yeah, yeah. I love it there. And, and you've had some very... Um, you've had a lot of roles. You you have a great, uh, diverse resume. Um, so how have you been? What would you? What advice would you give those young professionals to? Obviously, success is not on a straight line, if you will. Um, but what would you say to those individuals about trying to carve their path into sports or college athletics? Yeah, I tell them a couple of things. It's you know have an idea in mind of what you'd like to do but be very open and flexible about what that path looks like and how that might change. You know, when I broke into working into NCAA compliance, you know, the idea of student athletes using their name, image, and likeness to make money was just very far fetched. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. Well, now you look forward about a decade later and it's, Oh, well, no, that's a thing. And there are a lot of opportunities to work in that sector and to support student athletes. And so You know, I use that as an example, but it's happening all the time, especially in the sport industry. It's things are evolving very quickly. So while today in 2023, you think your goal is this, uh, be open to the fact that five or six years from now, the game might completely change. And that's okay. You just have to be nimble and flexible and decide, okay, well, is this still my dream? And if so, pursue it in kind of its new iteration. But if not, be okay going, okay, this would have been good back in 2023. The rules of the game have changed. I'm going to pivot and go a different direction and be very comfortable with that because change is just a big part of life. Uh, the other piece I would say is just build those relationships. You know, uh, I'm pretty fortunate. I, I have been able to just go to some cool opportunities and have some great experiences. But, you know, each and every one of those is because of people who have invested in me. You know, at times where I didn't know whether I had the skill set to do something, I've been fortunate to work with folks who said, oh, no, we know you can do this. And we'd like to position you into a place where you'll have a runway to do so. So build those relationships, you know, invest early, invest often. If you can help someone else get to an opportunity, do it, even if it's not going to benefit you whatsoever. You just never know when those paths are going to cross again. You know, people that I met and worked with when I was an intern and no one knew me from anyone else. Those folks have always played a pivotal role in my life. We check in with each other later on down the road. We always make sure that we're acknowledging, hey, you did something great. Remember back when you were an intern as well? (laughs) I had no idea this was all going to (laughs) work out. So, you know, invest in those relationships because, once again, it's a very small world in athletics. So the more people that you can get to know, the better off that uh, your career will be. For sure. I love that. Relationship building is huge. And. You know, I feel like you don't want to burn bridges because even when it's the smallest of things, whether that's your first internship or your second internship, you never know where that can lead. And especially in the sports world, they're huge. And you never know. It may be, you know, your boss here, maybe three, you know, they move on and they go somewhere else. They may bring you on later down the road. Oh, that's 100 percent right. I mean, it happens all the time. If you go and we're, if you just took some time to look at a collegiate athletic staff directory and just looked at everyone's bio and just kind of wrote down mutual connections or places where people had worked uh, in a similar place, you would find a lot of connecting dots. 
You just got to look a little bit close and you can usually connect the dots. Yeah, I love that. Um, so as you were pursuing your, you know, master's and PhD, what was some of the, you know, things that you wanted to take on from an education standpoint that, you know, that you wanted that you may have not gotten as an undergrad? Yeah. So, you know, as an undergraduate student, I don't think I really appreciated education in the way that I, I wish that I could mm. have if I had a do over. And so, you know, so much of undergrad is focused on kind of that end result, right? You're trying to get to the finish line so you can graduate, then you get the big job with the paycheck, then you can get the stuff. And so <laughs> at times you're just checking boxes and just going through the motions. And unfortunately, I, I think I did that a lot throughout undergrad. So when I entered my master's degree, I, I made a pretty big shift. And so throughout undergraduate, I studied history. And then when I got to Austin Peay State University, they didn't have a just traditional history master's program. And so I thought, okay, well, I need to change what I'm studying. And so I picked health and humor performance to start. And it was really fun because all of a sudden I had to switch gears and use just really, it felt like a different part of my brain in order to learn. And so, you know, it was one of the first times in a long time that I just really invested in just the process of learning. You know, after classes, it was my classmates, myself going to the library and just studying, not because we had a test coming up in the next couple of days, but because we wanted to be prepared and learn as much as we can. And so it really fostered this passion for learning back in me. I looked at my professors in just a distinctly different way that I did in undergrad. You know, in undergrad, they're gatekeepers. I need this person to be on my good side so that they'll <laughs> give me a good grade when maybe I was slacking off a little bit in a class. And so when I shifted over to a master's program and then later in a PhD, it's, wow, these people are experts. They've invested time in building a knowledge base that's just huge. And if I'm quiet, if I do the right things and just really listen up, they might teach me something that's going to be beneficial for my future. And so my way of interacting with professors just completely changed. You know, flash forward to the math, to the PhD, your relationship with your faculty and kind of what you're doing in that space is just distinctly different than undergrad or master's because you're working with professors to train you into hopefully becoming an expert who can develop their own knowledge, who can contribute to a field through your research to then in turn educate other students to go on and learn even more than you could have. And so, you know, those experiences were second to none. You know, I got to use the skill set in particular with the PhD program that I'd gathered throughout time working in athletics and coupled that with, well, what does the literature say? What do other areas of study say about what my lived experience was and how can I use that to contribute in a greater way to help students who want to, let's say, work in college athletics, be better positioned to make positive change. So it was a lot of fun. In particular, I thought I knew a decent amount about higher education, but I learned even more just through my classes, my interactions with professors, my ability to reach out and do research on other schools and how they operate in an athletics perspective. It was just a lot of fun and just expanded my knowledge base tenfold. Yeah, for sure. And you talk about the specifics and obviously the more focused areas and the time that you spent um, on those areas. So being in higher education, no matter what role you're in, how imperative is it to have a, a higher degree? Or are there some levels where you know, you not necessarily have to have that? Or is it a must if you want to 
working college athletics to have those higher level degrees? You know, I don't think it's a must. With that said, I'm a big believer in just education. You know, college athletics sometimes is viewed as almost separate of the kind of educational setting. But, you know, I think when it's done at its best, uh, they're one in the same. It's, hey, I'm not just getting this master's degree to advance. It's, hey, I work in a place where education is the focus. And so I want to be as educated as I can possibly be, learn as much as I possibly can, not for what it'll get me in terms of a job, but because this is the name of the game. I want to learn this stuff. Uh, now, I'm a little bit of a, a philosopher in that regard, and I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge the kind of pragmatic side of things. You know, when it comes down to looking at resumes and trying to figure out who to hire, it's hard. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of people invest a lot of time. They're volunteering, doing great internships. And so, you know, a master's degree might be something that differentiates you when you're looking at jobs. And so being that person that it's, no, I have all of these experiences that you're looking for, but I also took the time to uh, diversify myself by getting additional education. So it, it can be very important in that sense. Uh, from a college athletics perspective, I mean, you don't have to have a doctorate. You know, it's something that I personally wanted, but I, I wouldn't say that, hey, uh, it was something that I had to have if I wanted to stay within the college athletics setting. You know, for a long time, I've looked at higher education administration and other opportunities to have even more impact and influence within the educational space. And so that's why personally I opted to pursue a doctorate. But once again, mm -hmm. it's not for everyone and getting a master's degree isn't for everyone. You know, you have to do that personal assessment. But, you know, those are just my two cents of, of what I view and kind of how I view it as valuable. But once again, it's an individual analysis on what's going to be best for you based on your circumstances. Yeah, I couldn't have said it anymore. And um, I think, you know, taking that individual approach to choose because obviously, you know, whether it's that, I mean, obviously, um, you have to take that uh, self-assessment because if you do it just to do it, that doesn't really help anybody. But like you said, when you're doing it to get give more value uh, and to, to get more out of the experience, that's when it becomes, you know, uh, you're getting the most out of it. Right. Definitely. <laughs> so, you know, with that, um, there's also, you know, you've been able to be in different areas and, live in different places. Uh, so being that, how important is it? And how do you keep a level mindset to say, hey, I'm flexible. I don't have to be in one place. I don't have to be in the area I grew up. And how important is it? How do you keep that mindset as a professional in the sports industry? Yeah, you know, Adam, it was a lot easier when I was a lot younger. <laughs> When, when you're 22, it's a whole lot easier just to kind of pick up and move because, you know, you just don't have a lot holding you back. And, you know, it can be scary. I don't want to I don't want to forget that it's very scary just picking <laughs> up and moving somewhere different where you don't know a single soul. But, you know, especially for your younger listeners, it's embrace it because there will come a point where that flexibility won't be there. You'll have other obligations, whether that be family whether that be just wanting to live in a specific way because it has your interest. But early on, you know, try different things, go different places. The world really is your oyster. But, you know, some of the things that I've really kept close to me are just, I, I think this sense of always reminding myself that regardless of where I am, everything's going to be okay. 
you know, sometimes thinking back to being 22 and going, hey, you navigated this situation. You went to this place without knowing anyone. You went to this place without uh, having a single friend or even knowing what the area was going to be like. And it worked out. So why wouldn't this be any different? So really just keeping that close to myself and just remind myself in those tough times that, it well, it always got better. So just hold strong to that. Uh, in addition, just looking for the places where I know that I'll be happy. So thinking and connecting dots of, okay, this was something that I really enjoyed about this place. Can I find this here? You know, I'll use gyms as an example. I love working out and lifting weights. And so, you know, it gets harder to make friends as an adult, but that's okay because I can always go to the gym and you'll always be able to make a conversation and hopefully make friends in that space. So really just leaning on my past experiences and leveraging those to try and navigate future transitions. Yeah, that's huge. And um, you mentioned just take your shot. And, you know, obviously I think the biggest thing is, is just doing it right. I think, you know, when, I mean, we talked about it earlier, you know, whether you have teams or leagues or organizations locally, if the opportunity is not there, you know, take a summer elsewhere, take an internship, you know, even if it's, you know, on a different coast, uh, just take an opportunity to see where it leads, right? Definitely. You know, one of my favorite quotes, it's really from a J. Cole song, but I'm sure it might have originated somewhere else as well, sentiment. <laughs> but there's beauty in the struggle. You know, when you're only getting paid a very little amount or not being paid at all, it can be tough in the moment. But I look back and those are some of the most fun times I ever had. And so just really embrace that. Yeah, I love that, um, Chris. It's huge. Um, talk about, you know, over time, you've been in college athletics. Uh, you're overseeing a conference now. Um, where do you see diversity and inclusion? Uh, you were at University of Delaware uh, in charge of some of their initiatives, being the senior associate of diversity and inclusion for a little bit. How have we improved it over time since you came into the industry? And where do you think we're headed uh, for the future? Yeah, you know, one of the things that I think really sticks out to me is this acknowledgement of diversity, equity, inclusion within college athletics in particular. You know, it's something that at least early on in my career, it wasn't talked about a lot. Um, it's such a tough industry to break into that, you know, for the most part, I just tried to put my head down and just work as much as I could and work as hard as I could. And, you know, conversations regarding equity and diversity and inclusion really didn't pop up for me until I, I arrived at the NCAA national office. And this was something that was talked about, uh, not only within our office, uh, but also within the bigger picture of college athletics, really looking at the diversity within sport and sport really being that hopefully one meritocratic uh, area of our society, right? This idea that, hey, if you're the best pitcher on the team, it didn't matter what your race is, you're going to get to start. Well, practically speaking, we learned very quickly that that's not always the case. And so it was fascinating to get to be around individuals who were exposing me to areas that I, I think to a degree I had ignored a little bit because I had really leaned into this idea that, hey, this is our kind of free space. This is the area where uh, nothing matters but your talent level. And so it was helpful for me to see some gaps that I had missed because, you know, it allowed me to hopefully shore those up. 
And so now we get this unique opportunity to help to provide a better student athlete experience because student athletes tend to be the most diverse group on a college campus, but also to open the doors to those who might not have had an opportunity to do so or to jump into the collegiate athletic space in the past. And so I'll use one small example. While I was working at, uh, at the Ohio Valley Conference and doing internships following that, you know, it's a lot of those weren't paid. And it was perfectly okay. I was happy to do it. I felt blessed <laughs> to even be in the room. It was so cool. But now I can look back and go, well, that's tough. I was fortunate to be in a financial position where I could take that unpaid position. But there were plenty of people who during that same time frame were probably more talented than me, probably worked harder than me, but might not have had the opportunity to take a free internship. And so now it's okay. Well, when I'm doing this conference office work, when I'm opening the doors, can I find some money to give this individual for the work that they're going to do? Maybe I can't pay them the big bucks, but what can I do to allow them to be able to do that work without also having to take on three additional jobs because of the hours that they're spending trying to break into this industry? So, you know, there are a lot of layers to diversity, equity, inclusion, but when you boil it down, it's just trying to open doors to those who might not have had the ability to even see the door prior to your intervention. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there, and I want to touch on it, um, too, because you mentioned unpaid internships. Obviously, there's still some out there, still some out there and I think maybe, maybe we are getting uh, past the point where no matter if it's, if it's even the base minimum, um, offers some type of compensation for an internship. Do you think we're at that level yet? I think we're getting closer. We're getting a lot closer. I, I think that there is a recognition of it just not being the best setup. I, I think, quite frankly, there are some organizations that would like to provide funding, but they legitimately just don't have the money. And so they're trying to figure out a way to do so without breaking their bank. But at the same time, uh, they still want to offer those opportunities because the other alternative is, hey, if I can't afford to pay an intern, then I just won't have an intern. And that means that those individuals who are going to volunteer or looking for those opportunities to break in don't get those opportunities. So, you know, it'd be tough for me to quantify exactly where we are with it, but I, I feel like we're getting closer than I've ever seen within my short career in college athletics. Yeah, that's huge. And opening more doors for individuals, uh, whether that's on an athletic standpoint, student athlete, um, whether it's somebody who wants to work in athletics, you know, where you see the future of college sports and where they're headed as far as bringing more for uh, bringing more folks on board and just having, you know, a more diverse and inclusive environment. You know, where do you see the future of that uh, here in the near future? Yeah, I, I see it only expanding. You know, I get really encouraged at some of the different programs that have been implemented across the nation to try and particularly diversify the coaching and administrative ranks in college athletics. And so, you know, there are a lot of McClendon fellows who are currently working in college athletics that are intentionally put in positions to try and diversify departments and to provide really good experiences to qualified individuals who are going to go off and do great things to be the change in college athletics. And so when I look at programs like that one, I can look and see, okay, these folks are getting a great opportunity to learn. They're going to be rock stars once they're put in these roles. And then I think what's most encouraging and important is the fact that when they're in these full-time positions, 
when they're going to be the ones able to hire, able to supervise, they're going to continue to open those doors. They're going to be that change because they've seen both sides of this. They've been in a position where access wasn't there. They've broken in and now they're in a position to lift others and bring them into the fold. And so I'm very excited to see what the future holds. I think that it, it's really as bright as it's ever been. And I think it's only going to continue to get brighter. Yeah, for sure. And for those who are not in or haven't been in an environment where they are in a bowl, uh, that is in diversity and inclusion and equity, you know, what are some of the misconceptions that folks may have or um, that you have seen uh, being in that space in the past? Yeah, I, I think that oftentimes we're in a um, it's hard to really even label where we're at right now in society, depending on the day. But I, I think that oftentimes people have a very short sighted view of what DEI can be when in reality is it's trying to work towards that uh, kind of conception or a kind of conceptual idea that we have of society. This idea that, hey, when we go into an interview, the best person who has the most qualified background and skills is going to win the day. And so, you know, to do that, it has to, you have to have individuals in place to make sure that there aren't these added barriers, that there aren't these unintentional things that are put in place that are holding individuals back. And that mm -hmm. truly, when we get to that table, the best resume will win because everyone's been able to get their application to the table. And so I think it's a big misconception that it's, hey, these roles want to hold people back. They want to put people in bad positions. It's no, no, no. It's just the opposite. I want to make sure that, hey, everyone can show up and be the person that they are, regardless of background, and know that they're going to have a fair shake. So that's probably the biggest misconception that I've seen personally. Additionally, I think there can oftentimes be a view that these roles are people who are trying to police certain things. And it's that's not the case whatsoever. It truly is just trying to create that great environment where everyone can truly be successful. Yeah, that's huge. Um, and you talk about, you know, winning the day during the process, the best person for the job. Um, how, I mean, I guess, obviously, there's a lot of nuances to that. Um, but how can an individual, you know, improve their chances, whether it's through their resume or the interview? Because obviously, the interview can, is probably the hardest part of any job process. Um, but what would you say to those folks in trying to, if they're looking for a job or trying to break in, helpful tips for the interview process? Yeah, so I, I think it really starts before the interview. I'm a big believer in doing informational interviews. So reach out to people who are working in a job that you're interested in and just ask them what their experience is. What have they learned? What do they like about the job? What don't they like about the job? You can learn a lot more from someone's lived experience than you can probably ever imagine. Uh, in addition, trying to have a lot of different looks on your resume. You know, the way I view a resume is going to be different than the way you view a resume, Adam. And so having both of us look to go, hey, here's what I'm seeing and here's what he's seeing. I mean, it, it can be really helpful in making sure that you have the best product that you're presenting once you submit it to an application. And, you know, the other element that I would say is practice your interviewing. Interviewing is definitely a skill. It can be learned, even if you don't like it, if it's uncomfortable. Try and do interviews with a lot of different people, with a lot of different questions. You know, be prepared once you get to that live interview by practicing as much as you can. 
in addition, I got this advice when I was at the NCAA national office. It's write down stories. You know, we get asked very similar questions throughout interview processes, but the people who tend to do very well in interviews, they have great stories. When you're asking them about experiences, it's not really choppy. They're not going, well, um, uh, I did. (laughs) They're explaining to you what happened. They're describing it in vivid detail. They're connecting the dots and also highlighting those transferable skills in the way that they're explaining their stories. And once again, whether you think you're a good storyteller or not, it's write them down. Because when you write it down, just something magical happens. You're able to identify details that don't always pop in your head when you're telling that story. So make sure to write down some stories. That way, when those situational questions pop up, you have some great stories to tell that interviewer. For sure. I love that. I think that's huge when you're interviewing. Is there one interview uh, or role that you interviewed for that you knew that you just blew it out of the water or knew that was a really good interview? Uh, Well, I guess you want positive or negative? Both. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've had a couple positive ones. I guess anytime I got the job, I'd say it's a positive one. (laughs) But, you know, those don't really stick out to me. It's actually the negative ones that I think weigh most heavy in my head. Uh, I'll give you one quick story. It was uh, when I was finishing up my undergraduate career, I went to uh, this conference. It was called NURSA. And so the real focus on it is intramurals and recreation. And so there were a countless number of schools there. And I had the chance to interview for a GA position at a a school. I won't name the school itself. (laughs) And so we're going through this interview. And Adam, I'm smooth. I'm really smooth during this interview. And I think I have this job in the bag. This is the one I want. Like This is working out perfectly. And we get to the end of the interview and they say, okay, Chris, one last question for you. And I go, shoot, let's see it. And they go, tell us a joke. <laughs> and Adam, I have no joke. Have none whatsoever. Oh my gosh. And at 22, I'm just sitting there staring and I don't tell them a joke because I can't come up with one. Well, needless to say, I did not get that job. And so now I, before interviews, at least try and Google one joke and write it down on the off chance that somehow it moves <sighs> its ugly head that I'll have one prepared, but I will probably never forget that moment in an interview. Now, my question to you is, do you use, do you ever use that question in an interview? My goodness, no. Not <laughs> at all. Not oh even a little bit. Gosh. Oh, my gosh. Because you know, uh, there's always uh, some interesting questions that get asked. But, oh, my gosh. What is your favorite interview question to ask? You know, my favorite interview question to ask is, just to tell me something that's not on your resume that you would love for us to know. I, I really like for people to be their best self, like present to me something that you wish that I knew that might win the day for you. So a question like that just really allows people to highlight the things that they think are important, that they think will add value to the organization. And, and those are always fun when a person's operating from what they view as the best part of themselves. Yeah, Chris, I couldn't say it anymore. Um, if people want to get a hold of you, if people want to get in touch, uh, what's the best way to do that? Oh, you can always email me at miwacommissioner at miwa.org. That's a pretty good place to reach out to me. I try and respond to emails as promptly as I can. Or you can also follow me on Twitter at commish underscore brown. I'm on there, not as active as I've been in the past, <laughs> but trying to tweet whenever I can. 
but <laughs> I, I love talking to people, love tweeting and being at games and showing off the great things that our student athletes and our institutions are doing. So reach out at any time, especially for our younger viewers. If you need help navigating your career, reach out. Happy to help however I can. Chris, it's been a pleasure having you on the pod. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much, Adam. It's truly been my pleasure.